Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. Uh, joining, I am Jeff Griner. Joining me tonight, as always, is I don't know, Sam. Say hi. <laughs> yes, Sam. <laughs> and and Mike Shea and Sly Mike Shea. and Mike Shea. Sly flourishes. Mike hey, Shea. Hello, my friends. <laughs> so uh, we each get fifteen minutes to ignore and. Uh, talk about our games and and it's more what you'd call a guideline yeah (laughs) it's a suggestion or a suggestion (laughs) all right shall i shall i start my time then you want to hear about my games uh sure yeah so i've started my time uh so my adult friday game uh a campaign which i call deep darkness because we started in Waterdeep and then went to barovia so that all made sense to me. As one does. As one does. Uh, when we last chatted, the party had gone chasing after one of the champions of the dark powers that had escaped from the Amber Temple when Barovia was brought back to the world. Uh, and that champion, that new dark power, is uh, is a little lich that you may have heard of named a Sararak. Oh, that guy. Yeah. He was uh, one of the dark powers. Well, no, he is one of the, he's the, one of the new champions. He's the champion of Tenebris, the dark power of of Lichdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, isn't Orcus the dark power of Lichdom? No, Orcus is demon lord of the undead. I know, and I think <laughs> liches owe their fealty to Orcus. Yes, but Orcus isn't a dark power. He's a demon lord. They're different. <laughs> Pardon me while I. <laughs> Pull out your monster manual. Monster manual here. So in any case, the point being, uh, it was a great excuse for me to pull in a completely different form of gaming and rip the the Tomb of the Nine Gods out of uh, Tomb of Annihilation and run that for them uh, without the weirdness of the transition from early Tomb of the Nine Gods into the dungeon. Uh, You know, going from the let's build our characters and explore things to die, 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 right? Um, They're a little bit higher level uh, than what's – I think the Tomb of the Nine Gods is supposed to finish at level 12. And they're all level 13 from the beginning of it. So, um, you know, I'm hoping to to discover that that makes them a little more – um, capable of getting through the dungeon. Uh, when we last chatted, they had just met some uh, Flaming Fist um, a contingent outside because um, their commander, their the Grand Duke, uh, Older Ravenguard, had been taken and was trapped down inside the dungeon. Um, and they got to meet Liara Portier, and, and all of that is just cameos for future Descent into Avernus uh campaign so they get no sort of who these characters are um and then they sort of got through a little bit of the first level found the the secret door going down to the the workroom slaughtered with withers and the 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 tomb dwarves um and so now there's nobody sort of maintaining the dungeon although i think last time when i mentioned that you know uh i think um Mike, I think it was Mike that had recommended, you know, or or mentioned uh, uh, Withers is dead. Okay, but no, he's not. 
right? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's withers and he's undead and right, you know, comes back when when you, when you are the minion of a Sererak, the greatest right. necromancer in the lore of the game. Like, what yeah, is you that? You don't just get killed. <laughs> yeah. and also it'd be great if like you're alive. And he's like. Yeah, unfortunately. It's like the 15th time. Well, I'm hoping maybe now. But one of the th- so one of the, you know, early on in the campaign when they were in Waterdeep and then I managed to continue it on through Barovia, I was writing um, newsletters. I was writing the the what the Waterdeep Wazoo um, newsletter every week. Uh, and I was keeping up with that. And then we hit a spot where I was just either too busy or too mentally exhausted to bother anymore. So I stopped. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'd done it in previous campaigns. It's a lot of work, but they, they uh, you know, my previous campaigns only played once or twice a month. So it wasn't so bad. Um, this group we play every week. And so it just eventually wore me out about halfway through Barovia. Uh, and, and part of it was because like this – you know, the reporter is running around in Barovia, but there's only so much traveling around and, and reporting that he can do because it's Barovia. It doesn't make sense for him to just be wandering around in the woods and talking about things happening in places. Um, so I stopped. But for this third act, this post Curse of Strahd act, um, I started doing monologues. Um, I was actually inspired. I was listening to an actual play. Um, I think it was Red Moon role-playing. They ran Descent into Avernus, and I wanted to hear somebody else play it as I was running it for my children um, just to see, what was their take on this? How did they do that? You know, sort of thing. And he was doing – it wasn't even really monologues. He was doing um, just little – I don't know. It might have just been like one to three sentences from some NPC as an introduction into each episode. And I'm like, that's kind of neat. And I turned it into like now I'm writing – uh, you know, a minute and a half, two minute monologue from some NPC uh, that in this, in, whereas the Wazoo was in character, like their characters were finding these newsletters laying around and, and reading them. This one is completely meta, right? Only the, the players know it, the NPCs or the pl- player player characters don't. So like one of them was they they freed the genie there's a dao trapped inside of the tomb of the nine gods they freed it and i decided well this will be kind of fun the dao's going to follow you around it feels duty bound it owes you some favors three favors yeah. basically and the three favors were not i'm going to fight for you not i'm going to do whatever for you but you can ask me for three favors uh, involving me casting spells for you based off of my spell list Setting That's aside, some pretty beefy spells, doesn't it? Well, sure, except that they're like plane shift, which doesn't work in the tomb. <laughs> oh know? yeah, right. Or move earth, which doesn't work in the tomb. Stone shift. It's shape. not one of the ones that wish. It doesn't do wishes. It doesn't do wishes. Yeah. Uh, and so they got to another point uh, since we talked. Well, since we talked last, where there's the this golden skull. And if you touch it, it floats around and follows you around and just pesters you and makes fun of you the whole time. And it gives you disadvantage on everything. And the only way to get rid of it is die or uh, feed it 10,000 gold pieces worth of gems. That's a lot of gems, right? (laughs) And they just spent like all their cash. So they don't have a lot. You're like, I only eat Heroes Feast Bowls. Right, And he's super honest with him. He just keeps following him around. How can we get rid of you? I told you there's two ways to get, and he's real sort of 
monotone, like bored. Like he's clearly bored out of his skull with them, and that's how how he makes fun. Oh yeah, you're gonna do this again. Well, that'll be a great success this time, you know. <laughs> uh, but he, and he's like, I keep telling you that there's only two ways you're gonna get rid of me. You either you're either gonna die because I promise you, you'll die before I do, yeah, just, or you're gonna feed me enough gems to make me go away, right? <laughs> so so they said. Um, they one of the favors they asked for the last favor they asked for from the Dow was go get us a bunch of gems to feed this thing, mm. and and Keshma that's the name of the the Dow Keshma's like yeah totally I'll do that no problem uh, plane shift except plane shift doesn't work if doesn't you try work. that kind of spell or teleport in the dungeon it sends Takes you to you this to room full of dead bo- no it sends you to the room full of dead bodies with the Odia oh that's right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah right and so they have no idea they just know that she disappeared. <laughs> They don't know where she went. And then I did a monologue the next week from from her like, well, that went really well. I went from being trapped in a bottle to being trapped in this room. I hope somebody frees me soon. I hope it's not those guys because I'm not getting them gyms anymore. I'm sick of that. <laughs> so the players now know that Keshem is not coming back unless they do something dumb like teleport themselves, which they know right. doesn't work. Um, and they know because they've read Withers' journals and they know all the ins and outs of, of – how magic works, right? Right. So, and then I did one with Belcors, the the Beholder, uh, and they've gone through that level now, and they fought him and killed him, uh, and they've actually gone through a lot. And now where I'm getting, I'm getting to the level where things are starting to get, or well, things are going to start getting rough soon. There's that one series of elemental room trap things, yep, um, and that is like super, like some of those are like. At, even at 13th level, like this is instant kill levels of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so that is tricky. And then the other. <laughs> the Can other... I share a funny, a funny yes. tale? So we had the, the one that's the I think it's the fire one yeah. where people have to go in and the door closes and they like tele they teleport out and, and then it opens and it looks like they've been burned to death. Yeah. Right. And and and, and, and people can only get one at a time. So. so Everybody in my group just said one after the other, like, okay, I guess we're going in. And I never said what happened to the next guy. I only kept saying, right. you open it up. And so they all went like four out of, I think it was five out of six people went through, except the last guy was like, no, like everyone died. I'm not going, I'm going in this room. And then he got Godax. So he was the only one who actually died. <laughs> well, and that's that's the other that's room that he tried taking on three Bodaks by himself. That's the other room I'm a little worried about is as is the Bodak room. Not, Bodak room is deadly. It's not fun. necessarily because of the Bodaks. I think they'll be fine with the fight. It, the the issue is that like you get sealed up in the place, and the only way to get out is cut off your own hand. Yep, that's the only way to open the doors is to remove one of your own limbs, uh, and that's that's hardcore. Like that's old school. Hey being, man, there. Yeah, they chose to go into this place. It's called, you know, Tomb of the... Well, it's not called Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> but they probably saw the cover of the book, right? No, they're, they're aware of the situation. But, and, well, it's not and, three gemstones. And now one of the... Now they're they're very much... they've It's strange. They've gone from, we're going to run through things as quickly as possible, through almost the entire campaign. Like, they want to skip exploring and go for their target, Right. Now, all of a sudden, they get to this this place and they're like, well, no, we need to explore everything, you know. Uh, and part of it's because, like, I'm putting and, – and this was, I think, a brilliant idea is that I am putting all of the the skeleton keys, not on just these random skeletons wandering around in, in various places. I'm putting them inside the, the tombs. Mm-hmm. 
Because otherwise you can completely skip the tombs and that's no fun. Those are the fun traps, you know? Well, yeah. I, I mean, loved those the, skeleton keys. Yeah, the skeleton, the nice, well, A, it's yeah. funny because they're skeletons with key heads. Right. Um, but also but the they're creepy, You can put them right? wherever you want. Yeah. But they're creepy because yeah. they can like, they spider climb and stuff. So I used to have them like crawling all over the ceilings and <laughs> running away from the characters anytime they came in the room. Yeah. And I, I beef them up. So I would, I would change them out and like make, you know, so one of them was a bone claw, right? Yeah. yeah, um, and, yeah. and you make them tougher versions. But the nice thing about them is you can put them anywhere you want. So you can, yeah. you can pace, you can pace the adventure by wherever you want to put them. Yeah. Keys. And so I'm, I'm basically picking the the tomb that I think is the most fun and sticking the, the, just the skull with the the key thing inside the tomb with whatever else was supposed to be there. Right. Right. Uh, Or in the case of the beholder, it was in the beholder room. So you had to hunt all over to find all the keys to get into the beholder. Otherwise you can completely skip the beholder. You can completely skip most of the, sir. Beholders. uh, It turns out invisible beholders are really hard. Yeah. It turns out, well, (laughs) here's the thing. And they learned their lesson because in the Strahd fight, they got their handed to him because he turned invisible yeah. And then cast a bunch of spells that weren't like direct attack spells. So so he just stayed invisible the whole time and it kicked their ass. And then afterwards they're like, oh, we have a lantern of revealing. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So in this case, they, they the beholder shows up and it took them around. But in the second round, they're like, uh, uh, we're using the lantern this time. And then the beholder became a whole different, you know, much easier fight. Right. That said, then later on, they went into the – there's the room, the sarcophagus or the, the tomb room that has the three chests. Mm-hmm. And one oh, of yeah. The, one of them that is, killed That killed one of my characters. Oh, see, it didn't kill any of mine, but one of them is the one that's like the, the, the rust chest, right? You get into it and close it and something – you know, things get rusted up and destroyed. The only thing that got destroyed in the rust chest because everything else is in a bag of holding, which is in a, another dimensional space, right? And it's not metal. Um, so the only thing that got destroyed because it wasn't in the bag was the lantern of revealing. So they finally got to use it once and now they don't have it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had, I had one player who both had one character, a long-term character disintegrated in that box. Oh, and then another character, her other long-term character disintegrated by the beholder. See, they, mm. they, Same player. they used, um, so they, because they took out withers first, they had the control gem and they figured it out and they took control oh. of the gray slot. So mm. they made the gray slot get in one of the, the chess. <laughs> That's smart. Uh, and they've named him Steve. Uh, <laughs> but on our roll, on our roll 20, he's labeled as Steve parentheses and mad about it. Cause he's not happy about being Steve. <laughs> 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 right. And, and so they're, they're having a blast with Steve and, and Steve has, has, mostly been like very grumpy like he just doesn't want to help you he doesn't care about you he doesn't want you to succeed right uh and i like doing weird things you know steve was given the instruction of protect that character over there make sure she's safe right uh in the middle of the gargoyle fight so steve's like well my best way of keeping her safe is i grapple her and then cast fly and just shoot straight up the the staircase Right, get her away from the fight. That that pissed her off, which is perfect, uh, you know. Uh, and so, so I, I'm slowly like, you think about like these enslaved slots. They're not always like enslaved and mad about it because they're being controlled, you know. Uh, and so, slowly, I'm transitioning from 
everything he says is just sort of, and then he does it, you know, uh, to uh, he's responding now with words. I mean, telepathic words because he doesn't speak uh, any of their languages. Uh, but he's, you know, when he's given instructions, he'll, he'll oftentimes respond with, all right, boss, you know, that kind of stuff. So, which is a, a significant attitude improvement over just, uh, you know? <laughs> so, um, so that's going well. Uh, the monologue thing is going well um, when I can think of something to do. Uh, and sometimes it's, it works out well because I'll throw in a monologue like, one time we're in the middle of this of this dungeon and I'm like, I, I don't know, I need a monologue and there's nothing, no NPCs because it's a big death trap dungeon right uh mm-hmm. so i threw in a monologue of you know what's jarl axel doing these days back in Waterdeep, and so i just <laughs> I, you know i threw one of those in so i and, and usually i have the the time and them to put it together last week i was slammed and didn't get it done but most of the time i'm able to throw it together and because of the nature of, of who i am and what i do i usually end up then i write it but then i end up recording it as well uh do a little editing or whatever with it and send them that. So, uh, my time is up, uh, and that's more or less what we've been doing in the Deep Darkness campaign. If you want me to take a few minutes over my time, I am happy to also talk about where we're at for Descent into Avernus. Uh, I've only played twice, I think, since the last time we chatted on Descent. Where are you? Uh, so they they finished the Hellrider crypt, mm-hmm. and they met Olanthius. Well, that one was pretty lame, isn't it? Hey, here's here, here's a crypt with thirty eight rooms all labeled the same. Well, yeah. So there's a little bit of that, but you, they get through it quickly and whatever. The the, the trouble was because all the rooms are the same. Sure. The trouble was that they very much took the attitude of, well, this is a crypt, and we want to be respectful. You know, we're right. all hell riders. They're all hell riders. We want to be respectful. So they didn't futz with the crypt at all. And Olanthius doesn't show up until you futz with the crypt. Right. <laughs> so, but the, what they did do is they found the, uh, the secret room with his journals and things in it, and they right. figured out. They started to figure out how to. I mean, it was literally like, well, we've been everywhere, we've seen everything. Um, clearly, we're missing something. So they literally just went through the entire dungeon searching for secret doors until they found the other ones and figured out how to free the souls of the Hellriders from service to Zeriel and destroy the stele that have all their names on it and all that. And I and I decided, obviously, destroying that is futzing with the crypt enough that Olanthius shows up. Uh, so they did that. They were given the next task, which is go to these arches, which will tele- teleport you to Costachi's Maw, where you can free him, uh, and then he'll go after... Zariel, and that'll prove your worth to for me to tell you where the Bleeding Citadel is and give the added benefit of, you know, Zariel will be busy and not watching you go to the Bleeding Citadel. Uh, and then uh, one of the things that I've actually rather has gone rather well with the adventure is if you're going someplace in Avernus because it's all mutable and changes, you roll a couple of dice. And how many dice or what dice you roll depends on how well you know where you're going. So if you just have it labeled on the map and you're going there, you roll two D4s. And if they come up with the same number, you don't end up where you want it to be. You end up in some other random place. And it's actually happened quite a bit. Uh, And while they were trying to get to the arches to teleport, um, it happened again. And they ended up at the the wrecked uh, fortress, which, you know, from a distance, 
big metal, black metal thing sticking up out of the out of the ground. That could be the arches. Let's go check it out, you know. And so now they're now they're getting to that and they're getting ready to explore the wrecked fortress. Uh, so I've liked that because one of the things I wish there was more of in the adventure is um, incentive to sort of explore. It's a little bit like... Because um, <laughs> you're in hell, so half well, the time you get more than half the time right. you find terrible places. <laughs> uh, and, and and even the, like the warlord thing is kind of adds some interesting things, but it's that's... I, I wanted a little bit more guidance, I guess, into how to bring the warlords in, um, exploring hell. Like they ran into, like they ran into the the Mordenkainen's tower, and they're like, "Well, that's not where we're trying to go. We just keep driving." Right. You know, and they just ignore some places. Uh, sure. and they, you know, I went, I just sort of wish there was a little bit more incentive to to explore and go new places and to check out other things. Um, give them some more things to do in between the the fetch quests or around the fetch quests you know uh of those two paths um i think there would be some i think there's some value there i don't think anybody's writing third-party supplements for for this adventure anymore because it's been out for long enough but no but there's a lot of good ones from the olden days uh and i have i mean i have uh the what is it the encounters one that that the adepts put out i have helterel and i use that one um, yeah, it's kind of funny that nobody has nailed, in my opinion, nobody has nailed the encounter tables like the ones that were in um, the Waterdeep City encounters. Like that really hit well, for me the exact right resolution of how much how big an encounter I wanted. And they've kind of gone the other direction of like bigger encounters, like full page things. And I'm like, I don't uh, need a full page. See, the ones the ones in in um, for Avernus almost. I don't know if they're. I don't think they're too big. They're they're and they. I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to add some variety. Yeah. Right, they're trying to add. Oh, there's this giant pile of bones, and there's some random treasure in it if you search through it, or you know, and or there's some wizard doing weird weather things, and and they're doing mm-hmm. all that kind of cool. Those are the fun. ones that are in the book, right? And those are the ones in the supplement. In the supplement, okay, I get it. Yeah, and those are those are all good, but what they don't, and they add this interesting flavor and whatever, but they don't add meaningful like. Don't forget that Avernus is dangerous sort of encounters, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, yeah. I guess when you're in a, an infernal war machine, very little is dangerous because the thing moves faster than anything else. So they just constantly go around it and they can do so because they're faster than everything. Um, so, yeah. I, uh, yeah. So I, uh, uh, one of the – somebody in the chat, was it Strife Master, uh, is asking about um, – the random tables in Avernus. I know they have random tables for encounters in Elturel. I can't remember if there's random tables for running around in. You know, I, I mean, I used some, Avernus but I can't itself. remember if I, they were in the main book or they were somewhere else. I'd yeah. have to I'd dig it up and look. The supplements got some, and they, the supplement also has some interesting um, chains, encounter chains, and I'm yeah, using right. those too. The the one. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, and it was the encounter chains where it's like that's just you know, it was more than I needed. Right? Well, like and, it, and it built out stuff that I like. I just want to have a fun encounter on the side of the road. I don't want to launch into some big thing. Sure. I've already got a big. But they had, but they had. I mean, that was like chapter four. The first three chapters were all just sort of real quick, short encounters. They just weren't very. Yeah. They were interesting encounters. They're not encounters that reinforce. Hey, this place is really dangerous. You're in hell. Right. You know. Right. It's more of hey, this place is really weird. So, uh, anyway, time's um, up. That's my time is well up, but that's <laughs> sort of uh, where I'm at um, with my games right now. Uh, 
So anyway, uh, before we do move on, I want to let people know that you can support us uh, and the other Tome Show shows. One of the ways that you can do that, one of the best ways you can do that is to become a patron at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. I always forget which one it is now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you could be patrons like we have some new patrons. uh, Jeff Matthews, James D'Alessio, and Derek Heath. I think I've mentioned Derek before, but I'm happy to shout people out more than once. Uh, Plus, we have some longtime supporters like Hyperlectic, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche. Jester David has returned, uh, and I'm glad to see him again. Uh, And Doug Palmer. Uh, is another one of our great patrons. So, um, so yeah. And Steal Your Mind, who is in the chat right Thanks now. In the chat, yep. Steal Your Mind is also a patron, yep. Okay. So, whose turn is it? Mike? Yo. Tell us turn? about your game. All right. I'm running, uh, I'm deep into Rime of the Frost Maiden. It is the only adventure I'm currently running. Ooh, that's weird. Uh, yeah, for you. it was. Yeah, because I used to be running a Friday every other every other weekend game, and a friend of mine has taken that game over, so I get to play in his game, which is awesome. Because now I've got a regular campaign that I'm playing in as a player, and I'm enjoying it to death. Uh, but my Wednesday, my Wednesday, and my Sunday game are both dis, uh, Descendant Avernus. They're both Rime of the Frost Maiden. <laughs> uh, my Wednesday group is about three-ish weeks ahead, two or three weeks ahead. So we're in chapter one. Uh, they are exploring 10 towns. Uh, they started off in Bryn Shander. They did the Foaming Mugs quest there in Bryn Shander, which is actually a really good starter quest because it's basically go and kill a bunch of goblins. Uh, so I, I, you know, that now the that the I polar bears it, and the, and the, iron yeah, yeah, right. And I, and my, I, what I would, so if I were recommending, there's two things that I've learned from that I would do differently. One is I had a starting I had a starting encounter where they ran into some ghouls that were eating a murder victim. This is full of spoilers, by the way. So they were eating one of Sephic Caltro's uh, murder victims. And then if you fight the ghouls, you beat them, you go, you get level two. And that way I could get the characters to level two really quickly before any of the other quests. And that way I figured the quest would be better balanced. Uh, the foaming mugs quest. If you, if you ensure that the polar bears are essentially non-hostile and you don't have the goblin, you have the goblin boss, kind of act like a coward rather than getting in people's faces and fighting them. Uh, that quest can be a really good level one quest because at that point you're really just dealing with a bunch of goblins and they're goblins who are not trying to ambush you. They're goblins who are busy struggling, getting a cart out of a ditch. So there's a really good chance for the characters to like gang up on the goblins and trick them and fight them in sets at a time and not all of a sudden get ambushed by 12 goblins. Right. Uh, so if it's run correctly, it can be a really good first level quest, uh, which means right out of the book, you can just start them in Bryn Chander, give them that quest. They go do that quest. They come back and then you give them three rumors from the rumor table, uh, probably rumors for the towns that are nearby, sure. right? The next the next couple of towns. So I ran uh, I think I've run. I got to look it up here uh, about three or four of the ten major quests, not including the two starter quests. Uh, I ran nature's spirits, which is one of the two starter quests. That's Mm -hmm. where you have to go find Twingas. And I didn't, so that one didn't really work out particularly well because it's not really sure like what you're supposed to do when you catch one or what you do, (laughs) you know, what you learn from them. There wasn't really a, 
a conclusion. And I ended up kind of scrambling at the end to sort of give the Twinga things to tell the characters that was valuable. Like the fact that, you know, Oral's walking around. <laughs> See, that's that's why I had Velen Harpel give them the quest. Yeah. Because really what she was doing was testing how hardy they are and mm-hmm. if if they were going to be dangerous to her, right? Um, yeah. And, and she can, you know, if she ends up being super evil, she can take those Chewingas and use them for her evil purposes because they're, you know, they're elemental beings bitches. and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. so... I've, I I offered her as one of the patrons. I had four patrons that I offered up, and in in one group they picked uh, the woman who gives you the nature spirits quest. Uh, her name is Danica. So Danica Graysteel is the the main patron for my Wednesday group. Uh, my Sunday group chose uh, Hlyn, who is the bounty hunter who's hunting Sephic. Uh, so both good, they're, they're both good ones, right. To start with, although when you're running around towns, you don't see them, you don't, you're not going to see your patron very often. Cause you don't get back to town very often. Right. Uh, so one thing that I had, so, so a, I think running the Bryn Shander foaming mug quest as a level one quest is fine. As long as you make sure that the goblin boss and the polar bears aren't involved in the fight, then, then that can work out really well. Then if you, uh, then the other one, which everybody knows is, is you probably don't want to have Sephic Caltro be a, be a villain right away. You know, you probably want to have that be a longer quest. And and I've turned it into a mystery where they, they saw dead people in di- different towns. They were all clearly murdered by Sephic. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Sam did, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what and I did. That, and then they started to pick it up. It's a little hard because you like, what are the clues? So I eventually made it pretty clear that, hey, all of these murders are in the right timeline with how uh, Torg's merchant caravan is going around from town to town. So then they said, okay, we know that they came from Dugan's Hole to Goodmead, to Bryn Shander, to Targos, and now they're on their way to Tourmaline. So they they then started to chase it, and they went to Targos, and they didn't spend a lot of time there, but they they spent enough time to say, oh yeah, they were here a day ago, and this morning they just left for Tourmaline. So then the group's like, oh, well, let's go to Tourmaline. And all the time they were doing this, they're picking up the other quests, which means now they have five quests that they haven't yet chased down. They have they have a little too many. I, I, I doled them out a little too quickly. Um, to, 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 to go with because, and they were like, yeah, those quests are great, but we're chasing a murderer right now. Let's go find him. So that was, so they made it to Tourmaline and the, the session that we had on Wednesday, uh, they met a bunch of funny NPCs in Tourmaline. They got jumped by Zinter and bandits because they were screwing around with the, uh, wannabe mayor in Goodmead. And they passed a lot of false rumors about him to break his, you know, break his ability to become the next speaker. And in doing so, he pissed him off. And then he sent a flying snake up to Tar- Targos and said, some people are coming your way. Kill them on the side of the road. So three Zinterim thugs uh, hired a bunch of local bandits, jumped the characters on the roadway and said, like, yeah, you shouldn't have screwed with that guy. And then summarily got killed by the party. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then the funny bit there is they they put all of the bandits to sleep. They had a bunch of like highwaymen that were just local local toughs from Targos, but there were three actual Zinterim agents that were, that were there, that were, they were thugs. So they, they killed one of the Zinterim agents. They imprisoned the other two. They put all of the other ones to sleep and then paid them off to take the other ones back to, to, to Targos to put them on trial. Of course, what we know is that the speaker of Targos is, is also a Zinterim guy, which means they're all going to get free. Right? <laughs> like they're going to win the, they're going to win the case. And next, you know, the party will go back and go, Hey, how, what happened to those guys? Oh yeah. Well, we couldn't find good evidence. So they're free now. Right. And like, are you kidding? 
Um, anyway, so now they went there. They met. They what they figured out is that the murderer is killing people who have been. I think this is in the book. Um, the murderer has been killing people who have been avoiding the sacrifices to Oral. And so they said, okay, hey, has anybody around here avoided the sacrifice to Oral? And they're like, oh yeah, there's this old cranky woman who wouldn't put her fire out when everybody else did. And they're like, okay, we're gonna watch her house. So they set up like a bunch of them hanging out in front of the house, like watching. And then sure enough, here comes this dapper guy in a blue vest. And I said, like, you realize like he is way underdressed for this weather. And they're like, oh, and then there's like guards that they had stationed outside. And the guards are like, oh, hey, how's it going? He's like, hey, good, thunk. And then they're killed by ice knives. And like, oh, this is our guy, you know, and then they, they jumped him. So our next session is going to start with them facing Sethic. Nice. But of course, in my world, Sethic can also summon ice ghouls. So all of a sudden they won't be facing just Sethic. They'll be facing Sethic right. plus a bunch of ice ghouls that Perfect. follow him around. So, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, that's your that's one group. Yeah, we're just going to talk about my Wednesday group because I talk about my Sunday group and my other show, and people can go listen to that if they want to hear okay. that. And you're running two games right now? Yes. Wednesday and Sunday, they're both um, they're both Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Steal Your is- Mind wanted to know who was officially running the least amount of games here, uh, and I think you and I are both running two. So, Yeah, I'm running two a, two a week. I yeah. don't know. I don't know what Sam's at right, these days. Are you, are you running both yours weekly? Yeah. I mean, when the kids aren't in trouble and, and, we, don't have, and we have to cancel the sins, but... <laughs> So it happens when you run for your kids. Oh, you're misbehaving. I guess we have to take away D and D this week. I'm like, why am I getting punished? (laughs) Why am I punished? That sucks. So um, it's nice that they like it enough that it can be used as a punishment, but it's still, you know, take something else away. Sam, how many games are you running? I have uh, two games that run every two weeks and one game that runs weekly. And one, one game that's sort of intermittent runs whenever, the boys have like, time. Sounds like we're all playing so a lot of games. Sam is yeah. running like 2.1 games per week. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more than that, yeah. Um, so a couple of things So a couple of things that I would have done differently. One is, I, and Sam knows this, um, but I tried to group the 10 quests that are in the towns into like tiers, similar to the way that Dragon of Icefire Peak has quests and tiers. And, you know, that you sort of like, here are three quests, you do two of them, the third one goes away, then you get the next set of three quests. And I thought that seemed like a nice way to organize it. And it turned out like that was more work than I needed to do. And it's just easier to give out three rumors at a time that are relating to the towns that are nearby. Uh, That said, there's a couple of quests where you definitely want to tune them. You know, you want to have a way to tune them. And the one that came to mind is we did um, uh, the one with the with the winter wolves. I forget the name of it. Hold, Hold up. Hold up, it is. So smart winter wolves have kidnapped a, a couple of kids and are trying to extort the uh, town of Dugan's Hole uh, for food, right? But they're winter wolves. Well, you know, when two winter wolves will kick your ass, right? Like they're they're bre- they're like little white dragons. They are nasty. So it's far better to just make them dire wolves. And if you make two dire wolves that are smart, it it works. It's significantly better balanced for, well, for combat. To be and there's in. enough. There's enough other random creatures running around that are awakened in this adventure. Right. That you could easily make just make them awake. Well, and here's the irony. Winter wolves cannot be awakened because they are not beasts. Right. <laughs> you know, but, but they're I already intelligent. Yeah. Dire wolves. I sure are. Uh, they're already intelligent. Right. But it, it's nicer to have awakened dire wolves because it fits the whole animals getting awakened. Right. And like, they're like, Hey, you know, instead of just eating people, we could kidnap some people and extort food out of the, the town, right? Like we'll do that. And that's just kind of, it's something of a, a newly awakened winter or dire wolf would try to think up. 
Um, the other one was like the two Verbeeg. Uh, we ran that quest uh, in in Good Mead. Uh, the Mead Must Flow is the name of the quest. And Verbeeg are another monster that will kick your ass. Now, luckily, my Wednesday group who ran it didn't face them at all. They they managed to route one of them, and then they ran into the other one and convinced the other one that they were taking poisoned meat away from the first one in this like convoluted, like, we were going to poison it, but then we felt bad, so we came to take it away. And she's like, huh? And then <laughs> they managed to convince her to go away, and then they they took off with the mead, right? They're like, let's go, you know? So, uh, so they never actually fought a Verbeek, but I think you could probably have the group face, especially if they're second level or above, they could probably face one Verbeek if that Verbeek is not getting two attacks around. You just limit its attacks to one attack around because otherwise it'll just destroy the group. Like it does or, a ton of damage. It's, it, um, it's, it's drunk on all that meat and just give it disadvantage on all its attacks. The yeah, oh, man. The yeah. So we, we came up with a new technique called sleepjacking and uh, <laughs> sleepjacking is when you're, when you find a drunken ogre and you immediately like ready your attacks and beat it down until a sleep spell will work on it. <laughs> and you beat it down and it can't sleep and then run. And now it wakes up and it's all beat up and it has no idea why. Right. <laughs> and then, and it's meat is gone. So, uh, yeah, so they pulled that, they pulled that on their thing. Um, so I haven't, yeah, I think we've done about four of the quests and they are they in my opinion they all need a little tuning like for you know given that you think like these quests are generally going to be first to fourth level they're just some of them are just really really hard for that mm -hmm. right and and i hear like well the intent isn't i would hear a lot of this i hear the intent isn't that you fight these guys and you're like be nice if it said that right and and also why shouldn't combat be one of the options like combat is one of the pillars so sure they should be able to talk their way out of a verbig fight but that doesn't mean that other groups can't fight it, right? Right. And maybe they'll win. I'll tell you one thing that, that's eating my lunch right now is we have one of the new uh, Tasha's uh, star sign drew, uh, clerics, uh -huh. the Twilight clerics, right? Just temp hit point machines. So uh -huh. it, it is essentially giving everybody like five to eight temps around, right? Oh, wow. Which is this, this buffer, this like damage buffer, which means- Especially that at that level. Yeah, right. It's crazy. I, I think it goes up with proficiency. So I don't it, it's not going to be very good later on. Mm -hmm. But holy cow, is it really good now? And it basically means that like, I mean, again, I threw how many bandits, eight bandits and three thugs uh, against uh, five third level characters. And they didn't really have any even even the guy who had two thugs doing two attacks each with advantage. Uh, I couldn't get down, you know, I, like I, I couldn't beat him down past his, this threshold of temporary hit points he was getting. So it really, it means that like, you know, if I'm going to have a hard Cephic fight, I think those ice ghouls are going to be doing a little bit of extra ice damage, mm. you know? So there's ways to deal with it, but it's like, boy, that's a, you know, I thought the heel gun, you know, the heel gun from, uh, uh, the artificers have was, was, is very similar to it, but it doesn't seem, this one seems to be worse. Like it's, it's it's this constant temporary hit point threshold, you know, that's just always going. Um, so, yeah, I have uh, I, I listened uh, if I can plug another podcast. So Sean Merwin and, and Teos on their podcast and the name I, I always remember the old name. I don't remember the new name. It was from the misdirected Mark. Yeah, it Hang used on. to be down with D&D. &D, it used right? to be down with D&D &D and they changed the name. I got it right here. Uh, Mastering Dungeons. There you go. Um, so they just had an episode uh, with um, uh, Marcelo de Valquez, Valquez, I, I suck at pronouncing, and and GM Tim. Uh, if you know GM Tim, 
he's a he's an awesome dude. And both of them were also all four of them were talking about Ryan and the Frostman. They had lots of good things to say. And one of the things that they brought up was a continuing complaint that it's never clear. I'm not. I'm going to ignore that. It's they never. It it it's never clear exactly what the theme of the adventure is supposed to be, and it sort of gets lost. And then you know, like all of a sudden, like halfway through, a giant dragon comes and destroys half of ten towns. And there's all these like. And then it's like, well, then you deal with, you deal with uh, the frost maiden. And then somebody's like, hey, come down with me into this old city. And you're like, right. Why? I took care of the problem. Like, why am I going to? So there's this like well, lack. No, of... we've had lots of conversations about how the last two chapters don't connect to this. Yeah. Well, I, but... So I'm, which I'm, is I'm... where that's where all the work that I'm having to do. That's where I'm doing the work. I'm not doing the work fiddling well, I'm, I'm, the I'm, little I'm... chapter one stuff. I'm doing it all right for later. Yeah. And I and I so right. I could have done less work on chapter one and I would have been fine, I think. Uh, the tuning is probably what I would want to continue to do, but I, the whole like organizing of the quest and everything turned out not to be that, that, that important. Um, I have no idea how I'm going to handle those chapters, but I know I'm not going to have the dragon come and destroy the towns. Like that just feels lame to me. So, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have something else there. And I don't know how I'm going to tie the three, you know, like the, the three chapters together, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to find some way to make those yeah. all sort of. Work it's together. interesting to to me to hear you talk about, I guess talk about their conversation about how it doesn't have a strong theme because all of the marketing and discussion around it was about a very strong like isolation and horror theme. Oh, so it has a, well, I mean, there. I guess there's there's theme yeah. and there's plot, and it doesn't have or theme and story. Yeah, and I, I never even got that. The horror theme never played out for me. Look. There's a way to play that as a horror isolationist scarcity game, and that's the way I'm running it. But you have to lay that out at the very beginning, and then you really have to push on it. If you have a group or a DM or both that aren't really pushing on that, it does not come through because mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of um, like comedy, lighthearted stuff in there. Yeah, right. Right. That if if that's the thing that keeps getting highlighted, there's nothing wrong with that because you need that even if you're running like a horror oh, isolation. Chris Estrada is full of comedy. Well, and and those lightness areas actually make the darker areas feel darker, right? Mm -hmm. So that's important. But if you're not playing the darkness at all, then those light areas end up being what the light what the game is about. That ends up being the theme. Is that oh, it's this hokey little tin towns with a bunch of villagers, you know, all these hokey people, they're having these problems and you're doing all these quests with them and most of them have to do with beer or honey and, you know, somebody stole the fish and you know what I'm saying? Like it and it doesn't necessarily come through as a really, really like the see the way I'm running it, this place is in the middle of an environmentally devastating mm -hmm. effect. Right. They are shut off from the rest of the world. There is a goddess running around causing complete darkness all the time and then, you know, showing off her giant white rock, right? Like like it's really devastatingly tough for them. And I I keep doing things to make my PCs get exhaustion. Right. Like I have all these things that happen that can cause them to have exhaustion because they are exhausted all the time because it's such a hard place to live in. And while they do meet some nice NPCs, I have to keep pressing on the horror aspects or else that just won't come through. It just gets lost because there's so much going on. And the second half of the book 
isn't even doesn't have anything really to do with any of that. Mm-hmm. So I I did a lot of work to pull that back in. So not sorry to take over the conversation. That's it. Yeah, have hey, we started your time? In your turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying though is that I totally appreciate their conversation because you have to really work through that to make it happen that way and to make all those things connected. Like that's what I've spent all of my, all of my prep time that has been the difficult prep time. Yeah. Like I tweaked some, I tweaked some of the encounters, but those are not, that's not difficult prep anymore. The difficult prep is how am I going to work this into this over here? I'm I'm hoping to find an elegant, I, I think it's okay when, as I think about, how I'm going to run those chapters. I think it's okay to essentially treat the whole uh, Duergar section as just one of the other quests that's going on in chapter two, mm-hmm. right? It can just be another, it doesn't have to be connected to anything else because a lot of the other stuff isn't connected to anything else. Yeah. But I think the Yeth- Yethrin? Yethrin, yeah. Yeah, the Yethrin, the city, and the stuff that's going with Oral, I'd like to find a connection there. And I, and I think the idea that whatever it is that Oral is using to keep the Endless Night going is is being generated by a power that's down there and has to be shut down. You know, that's a loose one that I'm getting in my head now. Mm-hmm. But I think if I could just find some nice, elegant way to connect those two things together and make that sort of the final chapter mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, yeah. the both of those places, the final chapter, mm-hmm. um, I think I'll be I'll be happy with it. My, my group doesn't mind. I mean, I don't mind not really reinforcing the, the horror aspect because we just played a bunch of horror games and mm-hmm. we're fine. Um, I, I definitely the idea of like the continuing cold and uh, that everybody's got to kind of work together. I'll, I'll, one thing, and I know, I know you, uh, Torog was like your, 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 you know, big, big addition in your game. For me, I added the cult of oral. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a group called the children of oral and I treat yeah. them like the, uh, like Thulsa doom's cult in, in Conan, the barbarian. They're like, they're everywhere. Right. They've managed to convince a lot of the people yeah, that they yeah, need yeah. to do this. They're the ones that are responsible for the sacrifices. Right. I well, heard there's a really good product on DMs Guild about co- the Cult of Oral. That's exactly what. That's what I'm doing yeah. too. Is the so cult. that 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 was a fun. Yeah. yeah, it's I got a I love cults and B. Um, it's just a it's a fun rapper and a, a political rapper. Like you you can't just go and kill them. Right. You have to figure out how to dismantle them from the city, right. which is kind of fun. Anyway. Oh, and moose jaws. So my my when I ask people what their what their stars and wishes were, uh, my wife is like moose jaws. I want to face moose jaws, and I'm like moose jaws is coming. <laughs> that's that's one of the most fun quests that I'm. My, my yeah. players are back. They went back to the thing again. Well, we'll talk about it when I get to my game. It's but your they, turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. I'm done. Well, go. first we should okay. let people know that there's other ways to support the show, such as uh, going to thetomeshow.com and clicking on links to DMs Guild. At the very least. If you're going to go buy Creed of Oral uh, or any of these other fantastic DM Guild things that we've talked about, get, go to it through uh, the link at uh, thetomeshow.com because I use that to pick up uh, PDFs and stuff that we use for our various PDF review episodes and what have you. So, so those people reviewing don't have to go out and spend a bunch of their own money on things. So uh, that's, that's it. So Sam, now you can have the remainder of your time. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, okay, so at last time I'm going to talk about Rhyme of the Frostmaid again, okay? Because that's the tone. To- to- that's the conversation tonight, right? So the last time we talked, uh, I I had finished. We finished the session where the PCs were doing Moose Jaws, right? They were doing the Lonely Wood Quest, which is is the White Moose 
So here's the thing. So this white moose is killing loggers, okay? And so if the PCs go to Lonely Wood, that's the first thing they hear is that the white moose, or they hear rumors or whatever, the white moose, and in my game, they heard that rumor early on because they were told by a drunk person in the tavern in Targos that the white moose killed his brother and it's this evil creature and it's leading it's leading all the herds away because the guy overheard one of my PCs in the bar talking about how his tribe, because he's a redhead tribesman, his tribe is starving. And so they've sort of they're going out and they're trying to figure out what's happening to their main food source, which is elk. And so all the elk herds are leaving the area and they don't know. So they that's part of why he's adventuring. He's trying to end the rhyme because they think that's what's causing these elk herds to leave. And so he's telling the rest of the PCs in this during the first session and some drunk uh, patron in another table hears him and sort of says, hey, buddy, like, I know, you know, what's causing the herds to go away. And and he's drunk and he tells the story about how the moose killed all these people up in up in Lonelywood and they're not logging anymore and it's going to destroy the town and, and you know, it killed, killed all these people, including his brother. And he starts blubbering, right? He's crying. And then he says, you know, I bet the moose is, is leading all the herds away and whatever, whatever. So they had this quest in their head for a long time, but they they had just gotten up there. And so they went up and they did this quest. So they go and they go to try to find this moose. And the moose is sort of holed up in this old elven tomb. And the elven tomb has sort of a it has a it has a protective magical aura on it. So usually people haven't found it because they've been they sort of get redirected as they try to go through that area just magically and they don't even know, right? But because the party, of course, uh, the party is is the party, and so they were tracking the moose along with a bunch of other tracks from other animals that are also going towards the elven uh, tomb, and they go there, and that's where the moose is. Anyway, so there's a druid there that's awakening all these animals. So there's all these animals around, and and the. Uh, and so the, the the party's like, what the heck's going on? And they figure out all the things. So and so they resolve this quest, and they basically they they figure out that this druid is awakening all these animals because she wants the animals to destroy Lonelywood, all the loggers in Lonelywood, because they killed her sister. And so she took the body of her sister and she stored it in one of the sarcophagi in this tomb, which of course is desecrating that tomb, but that's another story. And so she has, she has this mirror that is able to uh, show the moose because she's having the moose do all the dirty work. So she's showing the moose, the targets in this mirror. So she makes the mirror, the mirror works if moonbeam shine on it or something. And so then it shows the target of her anger, right? And so the moose is targeting specific people, it turns out. And so the party comes in, they kill the druid, they fight with the moose, they communicate with the moose, and the moose tells them the story, what, what it knows about the story. And they realize, oh crap, this moose is just trying to administer justice. It's not really this weird evil creature. It's just an awakened poor moose that has been given information and acting on it. So they talk to the moose and they find out there's one target left. Okay. Because the, now some of this is me putting stuff in, right? So what I said was the sister was killed because either she saw some, she saw the loggers doing something illegal and she was going to tell on them, or they did something to her and she was going to tell on them or whatever. Like she knows something and they had to kill her and the sister figured it out. And that's why she, 
is setting off the wrath of this moose on them. Okay, so that that's the basics of what's going on. The party finds it out, and so the party looks in the mirror. They figure out how to activate it, and they look in the mirror, and they see the final target. This is where I ended my last behind the DM screen. So what happens is uh, they see in the mirror, they see Davrick Fane, and Davrick Fane is one of the NPCs from the Legacy of the Crystal Shard D&D Next Adventure, and he is in Lonelywood, and he is the last person that is supposed to be targeted by the moose. So they tell the moose, we'll go take care of him. You stay here, because if you leave, the town's going to kill you. So we're going to go show the town that you're not at fault here, and you know, just lay low, and then they are not going to hunt you down. And we're going to go deal with Davrick Fane. So that was the end of that session. So in my last session, what they did was they came up with this really elaborate plan of let having the townsfolk gather and having the ASMR PC. I have an ASMR PC. Having her uh, uh, activate her radiant soul, which causes her to have like these ethereal wings, glowing wings, and glowing eyes, and she can kind of fly. And then uh, casting a light spell like on her headband, so it looks because it's going to be dark outside. So it's going looks like she's going to be almost like a cold light walker with light coming off of her head, and she'll be flying. So they want to have her fly into this little this little festival of oral that's being hosted by the local uh, leader of the church. There, her her name is uh, Callie T. Fellow. Okay, she's a halfling there that's leading the church. Now, they don't know if she's a cultist or not, because the church has members that aren't cultists, and then the church has members that are cultists, and so they don't know, so they can't just openly accuse someone, right? So she's leading this sort of, they have all these ice sculptures, and the party decided to help set it up, so the party helped set up all these ice sculptures, and, uh, you know, T-Fellow comes along, and she's giving this speech, and Davrick Fane is there, and the party has the ASMR PC come out like with the radiant wings and accuse her. And so <laughs> Callie T-Fellow sees the PC floating in and says, oh, it's an aspect of oral that has come to bless our festival. And so everybody's like, oh, and then the PC like points at Dabrick Fane and says, I am, I am not an aspect of oral to bless you. I'm here to like doom you because of what you did to me. And, and so like basically all hell breaks loose. Right. But what happens is when, you know, he tries to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's going on. You know, I've done everything in the name of Oral and this isn't, you know, I don't know what's happening. This is wrong. It's a lie, whatever. Nobody believes him. So when he figures out this is a real bad deal, he uses freezing breath on everybody that's in front of him because it's a spell that goes out in a 30 foot cone. It's a spell from my creative Oral handout. Mm-hmm. And it turns like uh, eight townsfolk and one of the PCs, the pillars of ice. So it just freezes them and the spell, the way it works, if it drops you to zero, it turns you into a pillar of ice and you're stable, but you're at zero hit points and you're stuck in a pillar of ice. So if you're just a regular townsfolk, that's going to kill you. If you're a PC, you can be thawed out and you're surviving, right? So now there's this set of pillars of ice and all the townspeople go, oh crap. And they start running away. So there's this big mob rush away and so they get in a fight with Davrick Fane, and they eventually defeat him. Meanwhile, as they're fighting with him, Velen Harpel shows up, and she's kind of standing back in the background with her arms crossed. She can see right through the ASMR's disguise. She knows exactly what's going on. 
everything disperses, you know, um, they, they killed Avrik Fane. They, they, you know, they tell the townsfolk, we're really sorry. You know, this is the, he apparently did this horrible thing, whatever, whatever. They go back to the speaker's house with Vel and Harpel because they're staying in the speaker's attic. And so they have this big, whole long conversation with her. They don't know that she's an enemy yet. They suspect it, of course, because <laughs> Wizards of the Coast named her villain. But right. uh, <laughs> like for, for them, they've met her like twice before, and she gave them a small task. And so she hasn't done anything. She's now trying to convince them that she is – so they, they finally saw like her brooch on her collar, which has the symbol of the Arcane Brotherhood. And so they were looking into that, and basically she tells them, no, no, I'm in the Arcane Brotherhood, but I am all for the gathering of knowledge, but not for using it to destroy things. So I know that, that Ithrin is up here, and I know that there are members of my group that are trying to uncover it, to use it for power to destroy things, and I'm trying to stop that. I need to uncover it. But that's because I need to make sure it doesn't get used for bad things, right? Which, you know, I mean, right? Come on. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so, so she convinces them that she's, quote, one of the good ones, right? And they ask her for help trying to figure out what's wrong with one of the PCs who has this psi crystal that's talking to her. And here's where I've, I've started leafing in all of these aspects because the psi crystal – is a conduit for Torog. And since the PC, the, the Psy Crystal came from Trex, the Cobalt in the Tourmaline mine, in, in that quest, they went to the mine and Trex has found a Psy Crystal and it's influencing him. In the adventure, it's a ghost that has possessed him. And so what I did was I made it actually a conduit for Torog to be able to speak to whoever attunes to it. And the uh, Torog gives this person like the ability to speak extra languages, and they can they can telepathically communicate now. And the Psy Crystal also does what the regular s functions of a Psy Crystal are from the back of the book. So Vel and Harpel they give her the crystal to go figure out what it is and why it's affecting their teammate so much, right? So she takes it back, and they say, "Okay, we're going to meet you back at your camp tomorrow morning." She takes the crystal. The PC they took the crystal from freaks out, and they have to tie her up or him up. The male PC they have to tie him up because he wants to go after it because he's that like connected to that thing because of the things that it's told him. Okay. The next morning, they get up, they go to search Davrick Fane's house, and they find that the entire bottom floor of his house, all the furniture has been removed, and the only thing in there are just stacks and stacks of firewood, and there's a humongous uh, wood stove in there, like a giant you know, cast iron wood stove that's just burning, 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 just the flames are burning, the whole place is really hot, and there's a nest right on top of the wood stove, and inside of it is a perfectly round, one and a half foot in diameter Rimmeraz egg mm. <laughs> and the party flips out and they're like oh crap this is so they kill it right and then they they go search his his the rest of his house upstairs there's some furniture and a room that looks like an office so they search that and they find a rolled up parchment that has the rhyme of the frost maiden on it like the poem from the back of the book and of course that he so one of the PCs finds it and then reads it out loud and that freaks out one of the other PCs because when she came in she has the midwinter child secret which means she was born on midwinter so oral blessed her whether she wanted it or not and when she came into the area of Icewind Dale like at the very beginning when when she came she came across the spire uh, right the mountain range 
she had this vision of a woman riding a giant white rock across the sky, which of course that's oral. And she heard these phrases in her mind and some of the phrases were from the rhyme. And so now this player is hearing these for the first time in the game and she's like, Oh crap, it's coming. This is going to be bad for me. Like this is really bad. They also got a let. They found a letter that says to, uh, meet us in East Haven and it's signed by a couple of the cultists. So now they can sort of identify some of the cultists. Um, anyway, so they do a few more things in town and then they go out and they talk to Velen Harpel again. And, um, she tells them this psychrystal is a conduit. I don't know who it's a conduit to, but it's extremely powerful. And they basically convince her she should try to dispel it. She tries to dispel it. And I rolled a one. <laughs> it failed. And she's like, I can't dispel it. and But then they lie to the PC and say, oh, no, it's dispelled. And, of course, right at the end of that session, I had the side I had the log say to that PC through the crystal, they're lying. I'm still here. I can still help you find your mother. Right? He's looking for his mom. So, um, so, so that's basically what happened. So here's how I'm pulling this all together. The reason the side crystal has as a Torog conduit for me is that – Velen Harpel. Okay, so the other thing that happens in the Elven Tomb is there's the pumpkin spice mummy, right? And I talked about this last time, but I'll remind you. There's a mummy in the sarcophagus in the Elven Tomb that's supposed to be like he's supposed to be watching over the tomb. And the way that they that they embalmed him and all that, it had a lot of spices in it, so that's why he smells like pumpkin spice. It even says that in the book, right? Like he's so I just refer to him as pumpkin spice mummy. When the party opened up his sarcophagus, when they finally figured out how to do that and they opened it, he sort of pops up. In the book, he's like an intelligence five, like he's basically a zombie that can do a couple of things and not much else. I made him be a, an ancient Netherese wizard who eventually died. And so when he mm -hmm. woke up, he says, oh, oh. Oh, I'm used to seeing, you know, the city up above. What happened? You know, and, and then he realizes, oh, he's been away for a long time and he asked them what year it is. And so that's how they figured out that there's the city that is probably trying to be unearthed or whatever. And then that was before mm -hmm. they had met back up with Velen. So they were able to put all those pieces together because he had told them and whatnot. So once they go meet up with her again, she fails to dispel the crystal. But Torog now is a part of this. So here's how this is all connected. Torog and Oral uh, want to be together, okay? They want to support each other. I, I haven't decided if they're going to be like lovers or if they're just so spiteful because all the other gods exiled them, right? He got exiled into the Underdark, and she got exiled. She used to be like with Umberly and whatever, and she got exiled because she's too cruel or whatever. And she made her way back to the mortal plane, and when she got there, she saw that Yithrin is in the in the glacier and she was like oh i bet i can there are places in that glacial structure that have gone all the way down into the underdark and i can if i release that that can be we can use the power of that city to release torog and so she's working to try to release torog that's why she's keeping everything so messed up and blocking it off from the rest of the world and meanwhile torog has commandeered the Durergar to try to get them. They don't, I'm not doing any of this thing where they think they're following deep Duera and all that crap. They just, they know it's Torog and their job is to mess up everything so that some people can get there and unearth Ithrin and get Torog free. Right. Mm -hmm. So if Yithrin get, gets activated, Torog gets to get set free. They think, right. 
or if they can get whatever power was controlling or driving Yithrin, they can actually use that power to set the frog free or something. Like that's their that's their goal. And that's how that's all connected. And now I've woven that in two mm-hmm. or three sessions, how they found the Psy Crystal that's a conduit for Torog talking to them. They found some symbols of Torog. They're dealing with oral cultists and they're starting to get the picture that um, the cultists are not exactly, they don't really care about Torog, right? They're only about oral. And then there's this Torog thing going on, but it's somehow connected because Velen Harpel is telling them, no, this is all connected and we need to stop everything that's going on. So Velen Harpel is actually kind of turning into a good person, but of course she can turn at any point in time, right? She doesn't, she lied sure. to them. She doesn't really want to get it just to, to make sure nothing ha- bad happened. She she can absolutely be a good person until it behooves her not to be, until it benefits her not right. to be. So she was. I've I've played her pretty good, and she had she always had her kobolds hide, so they didn't know that she had. They didn't even know she was a spellcaster for a long time. It's just in this last session that they realize. Oh, and uh, one of the people in Lonelywood was like, "Oh yeah, no, Dazan told me not to deal with Velen because." Because she's got, she's raises things. She's a necromancer. She's she like makes undead things, and that's mm-hmm. really bad. And we don't want to do that. So now they've also heard the name of Dazan. Dazan is the arcane brotherhood wizard who's going to get killed in one of the cities if they do that quest. So I'm I'm lacing all this in, and it's all going to make sense because if they go to, if they go to uh, the the care Koenig which is where they're going next. That's where everybody keeps telling them to go. They're going to learn more, much more about Torog and how he's connected to Oral. So, Yeah, I was about to ask, as you were talking about all of that and whatever, I was about to ask, because um, you were lacing in this knowledge or this of the Flying City and with the mummy and all that, and I was about to ask, okay, great, now how does this all tie to Oral and your Torog edition, or the the cult of Oral, and, and then you went into it, and, and it's a, it's an interesting idea, and it's an, it's an idea that I think, even if you don't want to bring in the fourth edition deity of Torog, yeah. right, uh, you could very easily make this a... Uh, instead of Torog, make it Levistus. Yeah, yeah. I think would be really yep. interesting. You know, tie into uh, tie into it was is Levistus devil, yeah. arch devil, frozen right. in a block of solid ice, and mm-hmm. and uh, which ties in really well to the black yeah, yeah, yeah. ice thing that's going on. Well, Although, and you know, he, I, that's so th- the thing is they have this cult of Levistus in there, but he's only involved in that one quest in that one town, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, but right. They threw in the cult of Levistus. Yeah, they they threw in a cult of Levistus and not a cult of Oral. I don't I don't understand, but you know, like I, I feel like there's some things that well. must have been left on the drawing room floor just because of space, and they wanted to give everybody a certain amount of you know oomph in their adventure and whatnot. And you know, editing stuff happens, right? Like I'm not. It's, happens, it's the yeah. thing is, so I know that when we reviewed it, you had some pretty bad things to say about it. Mike really like lambasted the beginning, like the fact that Sefik is like third level and and whatnot. And I I was the one who said I really like this. I'm going to run it, and it's going to work. And so far it has. I mean, I see that it has some warts, right? It has some issues. And there's some things that I've really had to work on that don't really make sense. But really the things that don't make sense, I feel anyway, and I could be totally wrong about this. The thing for me that don't make sense is really because my preferences more than because it's really badly done. I think there are some holes, but I don't think it's really all that badly done. And I don't know. I, my I think my only complaint. Well, we could have that discussion for ages, and we. I imagine we. Yeah, well. one sentence though. <laughs> so. My only complaint is that it doesn't. It's it's not helping you out. 
right? It it just yeah. it like it could just use more descriptions of mm-hmm. there there are things they say in chapter two that I wish they said in chapter one, which is yeah. like these range in difficulty and you're gonna want to be careful. So stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's for me, and I think this is similar to what you're what you're implying, Sam, is that there's a there's a lack of cohesiveness mm-hmm. through the whole thing, right. right? The the things don't necessarily build to each other. Uh, you know, you throw in a random cult here and, and, and this other thing here, and then the city is the conclusion, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really necessarily connect to the other, you know, and so the, it's it doesn't tie together to a cohesive right. narrative, and so, uh, which is my biggest Yeah, so issue. I want to say something about that. You know, there's this idea that, well, that's because it's sandbox. Like, and my point about the first two chapters was they're supposed to be really sandboxy, but sandboxy doesn't mean that the none of the plot threads should connect. That's not what sandbox right. means. Sandbox means you've got certain things happening. The world is moving on and going to happen, and it's going to react to and respond to what the PCs do. But there are certain things that are definitely connected, and and it matters what the PCs do. It's just that they have a lot of choice in it. That's the sandbox part. Sandbox doesn't mean that all the threads are disconnected, and it's the DM's job to connect them. I mean, it is the DM's job to connect them. But but in terms of you know I think they, they, my they can help you out. Is, look, I just paid fifty bucks for this book, and it's not connecting the threads for me help when it could, out. right? With with just a few sentences in in certain places, it could connect these threads, right? right? And it doesn't do that. And and you know that's that's that goes back to what I always say whenever we talk about how good or bad the hardback adventures are. I say, look, none of them are written for beginning DMs. And so that's that's kind of a cop out statement because that's the way to say, well, I don't have mm-hmm. to, you know, the DM should be skilled enough to connect those threads based on what their party does, yeah. and I don't know how valid that is. How about, I mean, how about take on, out three sentences about incest towns and turn those into well, sentences about how to help yeah. run the adventure? Uh, I know I don't I don't <laughs> like the incest town thing, but I'm just saying, right? Like that's, and so, and here's, here's what I said. Yeah. And I've said this to Brandis on the, um, when we did the DMGs for the, for the edition wars for the, you know, Christmas edition wars. And that is that I wish that they would write an adventure and give some space to sidebars mm-hmm. where they would tell you, look, you can play this really deep and dark and, and horror filled by doing these three things. Or you can play this not as much that way if you want to go on the lighter side by doing it this way. Or the designer put this thing in here because you might want to focus on this kind of theme. Or you could do this. And those sidebars, if you just, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about sidebars that take up a half a page. I'm talking about true sidebars just to give ideas about, you know, if the party does this or says this or or wants to investigate this, here's here's a way to do it, right? Like, they could do more of that, and that would make all of their adventures – this isn't about rhyme. This is about all of their hardback adventures. It would make all their hardback adventures much more nudium-friendly and – you know, I know that there's a tendency to say, well, you know, you got to learn by doing. But look, we D&D is so popular, it earned more than all the other Hasbro, right? Like Wizards earned more than Hasbro's other toy lines, right? We just found this out. So here's the thing. Right. We are bringing in so many new D&D players. Why aren't we teaching them how to play with the Wizards of the Coast Adventures? I don't understand that. Well, and the, and here's and here's the thing, uh, and, I, and this – 
because I'm an educator, right? And I'm an education. Uh, I'm not just an, ed- an educator, but I'm an educator of education people. Uh, and and there is a a way of thinking about education uh, and teaching. And you know, you they teach all these methods of well, if you have students who are struggling readers or who English is a second language or whatever, here are some methods that you can use to help those students. And all of your other students will benefit from those methods too. So in many ways, it's just good practice. It's just good things to do. And I think there's some truth to that with this too. Like you're not just helping the new DMs. You're adding a level of transparency that helps the advanced DMs to make it really clear. Like these are the dials you can turn. These are the ways you can change things or these are the ways you can support yourself um, and, or support your game or your players or whatever, right? Uh, and so it's not – it would make it more new DM friendly. But I think it would make it better for me as a very experienced DM too. <laughs> so Yeah. The problem with it is it would mean they have to actually write shorter adventures because they're going to need more space for those types of tips and tools. I don't know, man. They they pad it out like like both Descent into Avernus and Waterdeep Dragon Heist is like fifty mm-hmm. percent setting, right? And they they could, they had tons of room. Like Waterdeep Dragon mm-hmm. Heist is a like a like a two hundred page two hundred yeah. whatever page adventure for five levels, <laughs> right? right? It's a lot of room. Well, and and what's more, Waterdeep Dragon Heist is fifty percent setting, but at least. Most the entire adventure takes yeah, right, place in right. setting. Baldur's Gate descent into Avernus, like it's fifty percent Baldur's Gate, and you spend three levels <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> it was really shoveled in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and one one thing that like I'm glad that I'm running it, and I'm glad I'm seeing it because like I over I I I, I you know I I overestimated how much I needed to do to fix it. When it turned out that actually, like on its own, it's actually working pretty well. Mostly in that mm-hmm. area of like, how do you organize the quests? I always felt like, look, you're throwing twelve quests at me. Help me out with which quests I should use. Right. And the truth is, like, you probably don't need to do that too much. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, some guidance to say, like, you probably don't want to throw more than three quests out at a time would be nice. On the other hand, there is a I, I forget who it is off the top of my head, but there is a publisher that's very successful on DMs Guild, and their big product is. Let me give you a little PDF per chapter of every book of every mm-hmm. adventure to tell you how to run it and give you right. all the tips and tricks and yeah. like that's a whole yeah. uh, product line. Uh, really and good. It, it's the Cliff Notes of adventures. Yeah, that, yeah and they're, they're they are good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then they bundle them all together, and you can get all the bundles with all this other other stuff. Uh, I'm I haven't picked it up yet for Descent into Avernus, but I've, mm-hmm. I've after running half of it for my kids, I'm like I really. I really should yeah. <laughs> you know, pick it up. And uh, so, you know, and that's the kind of like if Wizards was really adding that support, that stuff would have a little less value. But would it, though? I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, it, it, I don't know. Maybe it would. It maybe would be fun. nice to have some official support that way, because, you know, we're not getting uh-huh. another DMG, right? What we're getting are. Uh, you know, Xanathar's guides and Tasha's guides, and and we're getting things like uh, Morden Canaan's and Volos, right? So we're getting creature books, and we're getting like the guides to everything, right? Yeah, and like and sort of creature setting half books, like like right. uh, Van Richten's guide, yeah, right. And so and so those those guides to everything, those are the sort of um, those are like the DMGs, right? Those are the yeah. additional rules, modules, and stuff, right? And 
plus right, a bunch plus, of other plus stuff, a lot yeah. of other stuff packed in there and whatnot. So so we're not really getting that adventure running advice. What we're getting is extra rules modules to tinker with the game and play with the game and all that stuff. But we don't get it. You know, I really, really, really think it needs to be in the adventure. Yeah, I, I would I would be all over that. I think it could definitely use. I love that idea of just little sidebars that. Again, like I, I mean, like I'll figure it out, but like, do I really need to sit and spend a lot of work figuring out this thing that I just paid all this money for? Right. When a little thing saying, "Hey, you probably don't want to run Sephic at first level," <laughs> right? It would take no right. time at all. Yeah, they explicitly tell you to run it at first level, and and in fairness, I play tested a Sephic at first level as written, and and they were they yeah. made it. Nobody yeah. died, dropped a couple of people, He's but so they brutal. made it. It can be done. Twenty yeah. damage, but I. But I, but I really think, I, I really think though that 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 could change things for them if they. And I'm not saying they should do it necessarily to every book, but you know, like uh, for me, the I, I'm usually a home brewer anyway, right? I usually run homebrew stuff. I don't usually run the published modules. Um, but that's one of the reasons is if I look at it and I'm going to have to make a bunch of changes, I might as well just run my own homebrew. You know? Yeah. Right. That's that's right. And I don't feel that way. Like I, I can say having just run a big ass homebrew campaign in Eberron, even then I still had all this Eberron material yeah. to work with. Right. I'm doing a lot less work with Frostmaiden. Like sure, it, it's, sure. It's real easy me, and it and it's a lot less stress because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm running a game on Sunday, and I'm not worried right. about it at all. You know, right. it's it's yeah. it's easy for me to put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this has been a really uh, meaningful conversation. In many ways, I t- I, I've talked about when we switched our format for reviews to do like first impressions right after something comes out and then, you know, come back and revisit it later if necessary. And suddenly I find that we're doing that here in Behind the Damn Screen, which is, which is fun. You know, two of the three of us are running. Because you're, because you're running those adventures. Yeah. No, it, it works think, out really I, well. Yeah, I, I think that our... You know, the, 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 the podcast blog community could do a better job of reviewing adventures after we've run them a year later than we do. We all get we all get stuck on the hype train and we all like buy it as fast as we can and talk about it as fast as we can. And none of us have any, including me, have no idea what this thing is actually be like. Right. Right. Well, and that's 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 the reasoning behind my trying to do, like I want to do the first impression mm-hmm. thing because there's a lot of pressure out there. Like that's you're going to you're going to get more attention. You're not necessarily going to do a better job. But you're going to get more attention putting something out quickly than you are putting something out that's really good and well thought out after you've run it a year or two. I would argue that 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 hasn't been true in my experience. In my experience, I write art like my Horde of the Dragon Queen article getting more hits now than it did when I put it out. (laughs) Like it gets a, a lot of people are playing old adventure. Well, but so so that's that's the that's the reasoning behind my trying to meet. Do both. Yeah. I'm trying to try out like let's let's do a quick like it came out this week. Let's talk about it. Just our first impressions. And honestly, they're probably about as good as the as the reviews that we were doing a month after it came out. Um, but then I want to be able to when something comes up like this, you know, when I'm done running Descent into Avernus, I want to get together a bunch of people that have actually run Descent into Avernus and then like re-review it or re-review Waterdeep Dragon Heist um, because I was super hyped about Waterdeep Dragon Heist and it played really well, but it had more warts in it than I thought it did until I started running it. You know, people like Enrique said it's the new starter set adventure and then ran it and like, no, it's not. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. changes mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so I think there's going to be some value in that, but we haven't done one of the sort of deep dives after it's been run 
episodes yet because we haven't been doing it long enough. So we'll see how it goes. In any case, we each talk for 15 minutes and it's now been 80 minutes because that's what 15 plus 15 plus 15 Mm -hmm. adds up It's all because Darger wasn't here to keep our... To keep our on, 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 on That's track. right. Yeah. It's his fault. He, he's supposed to mock us and make fun of us for for going over our time. Um, so so I think after an hour and twenty minutes long, it's probably time to wrap up the episode. If that's cool, I'm in. I think we got into some really good conversation and some really good. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting how much we all have very different takes on a lot of published materials, but I think we all came to like the exact same conclusion uh, with how things could be better here. And I think that's interesting um, from three DMS that have, have very similar perspectives on, on life. So, uh, so I think we're going to call that the end of the episode. Uh, Thank you everybody for joining us. Um, I don't know. What do I usually say at the end? I feel like there's usually something. Besides, say goodnight, guys. Check us out. Uh, you can email the show at the Tome Show at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Squatch. Mike is at Sly Flourish. Slyflourish.com. <laughs> Sam is at DM Samuel. You can find the show at the Tome Show on Twitter. And that's where we're going to stop things. Goodbye. Say goodbye, guys. That's how I always end it. <laughs> Bye. Bye.